When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take the questions of the day and try to answer them with stories from our faith. And today we're asking the question and answering the question, how do you do it? What do you do when you work for a tyrant? What do you do when you work for someone that's awful? And Obadiah's answer, a character we'll meet in the story, says, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. So welcome. We have here this build-up to the showdown, the great Mount Carmel showdown that is alluded to at the end of this reading, that Elijah will face off with hundreds of prophets of Baal and hundreds of prophets of Asherah, all who feast every day at the queen's table, Queen Jezebel. Elijah, he's been living off like this magical flour and oil for three years. He's a skinny guy. He's not. There's not much to him anymore. He's like the wisp of a man um, who's going to face down all these prophets who are well-fed. Even the prophets of God are eating bread and water. So just from the food angle of this passage, you can see who's really winning at this point in the story. It does seem like the wicked prosper. And the psalmist says that many times and laments that. And you can see it in this story as well. Um, Elijah meets this guy, Obadiah. Obadiah is not a prophet. He is a guy that works in the palace for King Ahab, evil King Ahab. Obadiah works for him. Uh, He is some kind of steward or administrator, um, probably from a noble family. Um, a privileged person in the kingdom, um, and yet somebody who works for the king. He's trusted by the king. The king trusts him. And every day, Obadiah goes, sneaks out, or may, maybe sends somebody to sneak out of the palace with food, bread for a hundred people. He's got two caves. He's got 50 prophets, got prophets of God, hidden in each cave. Um, 50 in each cave. I love that. I've got 100 prophets, he says, 50 in each cave. <laughs> now, I would not want to be in that cave with, a, with 50 prophets. I don't know. Of all the places you could live, um, that's not a good one. And it's probably not great for the 50 prophets either. But, um, you know, I hope they worked out the latrine situation, you know, in the cave and all the other sleeping arrangements and other things that you have to do when you live in a cave and you hide in a cave, and yet they did it because Jezebel was trying to kill them. Ahab was trying to kill them. All the prophets of God had a price on their heads. And here Obadiah, this righteous man, is sneaking around doing good. He has, to that question of what do you do when a tyrant is in power? What do you do when a wicked king is in power and you share in some of that power? What do you do when you're in the White House with a wicked president and you're on staff and you've been appointed to do some important job? What do you do? 
Do you quit in protest and say, I cannot work for this. This is a compromise of my beliefs. Do you stay and pretend that you're loyal, but meanwhile sneak around like Obadiah did, doing good? Do you um, stay and, and oppose uh, so much so that you get kicked out and they kick you out? Or do you stay and fight and they kill you? Or do you leave and fight? These are all options people have had with tyrants throughout the centuries and millennia. Obadiah has chosen to stay, to pretend like everything's okay, everything's normal, everything's fine. I'm just doing my little job for you, Ahab. Um, he goes whistling by the king's throne room. Oh, Obadiah, can you, um, can you hunt down some more prophets of God for me? I need to kill a few more. Sure thing, boss. Heading out the door, he finds one, puts him in the cave with the other 49. Um, you know, this is what Obadiah is doing. He's sneaking around doing good. This is an option in, in when a tyrant is in power. We can't really judge Obadiah too harshly. Um, he is a Nazi hiding Jews. I mean, he's literally hiding his fellow Jews. But we would maybe compare him to someone in the Third Reich who tries to tries to do his best to save lives. Um, hard to judge people in times like this. Obadiah does fear for his life because when Elijah comes to him and says, hey, I want you to give a message to the king. You have the king's ear. He's a trusted official. He's in the inner circle of Ahab's court. Hey, when you see the king, tell him I'm coming to see him, Elijah says. And Obadiah freaks out. He's like, if I, if I go tell the king that I talk to you, He's going to kill me. Now, this is a guy who every day figures out a way how to feed a hundred prophets that are hidden in two caves. He is he is risking his life. If the king finds out he's got a hundred prophets hidden in, in caves, he's going to be dead. He knows this every single day of his life. And yet he's still afraid of dying. People are complicated, you know. They're not always real linear, simplistic. Um, and we're all like that. We all are doing our best usually in situations that are overwhelming to look at Obadiah and say, well, I wouldn't have done that or we don't know what we would do. We hope we would do what is faithful to God. We hope that we would save lives. We hope that we would do our best even at great risk to ourselves. And so Elijah shows up in the court of Ahab. He walks right in there and Ahab says one of the greatest lines in the Bible. He says, gotta find it. Is it you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> Is it you, you troubler of Israel? You you Israel troubler, you problem causer in my kingdom. Yeah, Elijah's causing problems. He's causing good problems. Good trouble if you borrow a line from John Lewis. He's causing problems. He is upsetting the balance of power that Ahab has carefully crafted. He has brought in this queen, Jezebel, who is probably a nice enough person at some point, but she has taken it as her agenda to wipe out the religion of Yahweh, to wipe out the religion of the Jewish people. And that is that is her job, is to, to stamp that faith out the faith of the Bible, the faith of the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She has decided she will destroy this, this faith, our faith. And 
because of that, um, you know, Ahab blames her for blames Elijah for troubling Israel, when in fact he is the one who has troubled Israel. He is the one that has forsaken the covenant. He is the one who is killing the innocent prophets. He is the one that is doing the very thing God asked him not to do when he became king. Is it you, O troubler of Israel? You can judge your character by who hates you sometimes. Um, not always, but sometimes. Um, if the wicked hate you, um, that's probably a good thing. Um, you're probably on the right side of things. Um, if the wicked are love you and think you're great, maybe it's time to want to wonder and say, am I being honest enough? Am I really holding to what I believe God has called me to believe? And so the showdown is set up. The hundreds of prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are, are going to meet Elijah on Mount Carmel. The coolest thing about Mount Carmel is it's shaped like a Carmel. Um, it's like a, it's a really straight up, really steep mountain, and it's flat on the top. It looks like a Carmel. Um, and that's where they're going to meet. This is going to be the showdown. Which God will triumph? Which faith will triumph? Uh, these, these, these are tough times. And yet the faithfulness of Obadiah is not lost. The chronicler of scripture, the writer of this, says Obadiah did something here that nobody else did. Um, Obadiah was one of those people who knew he couldn't stop the king. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't hearing words from God. All he knew was that it's wrong to kill prophets. It's wrong to kill the prophets of God. And he knew that was wrong. And he, and he tried to do his best to stop it from happening. And that is often what we're doing in life. We're not prophets all the time. We don't always know what God wants us to do. Most days, we only know what we're supposed to do today. And we know what's right and wrong, generally speaking. And we try to do that stuff. And that's all Obadiah is doing. And he is playing on that one violin string that's left. He's got one string left. He's playing on that string and he's going to try to save as many lives as possible. And his very quiet faith, his very brave faith is brought out in this story. He's the hero of the story, even greater than Elijah in many ways, because he's taking the biggest risk to his own life. Elijah's already said he wants to die a couple times. He's already despaired. He's already like given up hope in many ways of, of really being a success or some great um, person. But Obadiah has not given up. He's quietly working towards saving lives. And that's always the right thing to do. When people might criticize Obadiah, his own colleagues, his own friends, family that know him, um, he says what D.L. Moody said when they said to him, you know, I don't like the way you evangelize. You go out into the poorest neighborhoods and you talk to people there and you tell them about Jesus. And that seems a little like, you know, and you have big rallies and you have big events and you try to get people to hear this message. And we don't really like the way you're doing evangelism. And D.L. Moody always said, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. And Obadiah is kind of like that, too. He says, I like the way I do it, even though it's sneaky and maybe not fully honest. And I do my best. Um, but I like this saving lives better than the way you don't save lives to any of his critics. And that is often what the difference between character and compromise is, is doing the best we can in the situation we have been put in. Obadiah didn't choose to elect King Ahab. He didn't pick him as king. He got stuck in that situation 
And he did the best thing he could in it. And that is what faith does. And that's why we commemorate his example today, as well as Elijah. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Constance and her companions. Constance and her companions were nuns who, at the outbreak of the plague, really the uh, yellow fever epidemic that hit Memphis in 1878 or 1877, I believe it was 78, um, and caused so much death and suffering, they came to nurse the dying, nurse the sick. Many people with yellow fever, if they have good nursing care, can recover. Um, and yet, when an outbreak happens, it's usually there's nobody well enough to take care of each other, and that's the conundrum. So they went to care for the sick, to care for the dying, to save lives, when all the wealthy, especially the white wealthy people of Memphis, skedaddled and got out of town to get away from the disease. Um, and which meant all the infrastructure and the people that were in charge of things also left the city. And the nuns came to pick up the slack, and they died. They died of yellow fever there in that city in 1878. So we commemorate them today and their witness. We give you thanks and praise, O God, of compassion for the heroic witness of Constance and her companions, who in a time of plague and pestilence were steadfast in their care for the sick and dying and loved not their own lives, even unto death. Inspire in us a like love and commitment to those in need, following the example of our Savior Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. I want to offer a prayer for the repose of the soul of Carolyn, someone who I prayed with yesterday, who died at 2 in the morning. She is a church musician, uh, 91 years old, and recently uh, was brought to this area from San Antonio because her daughter lives here to care for her in hospice. And um, I got to pray with her and share communion with her yesterday, and um, she died this morning. We pray for the repose of her soul, for the grief of her loss, and for her welcome into heaven on this morning. Um, 
And I'll pray from at the time of death in on page 464. Depart, O Christian soul, out of this world in the name of God, the Father Almighty who created you, in the name of Jesus Christ who redeemed you, in the name of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you. May your rest be this day in peace and your dwelling place in the paradise of God. Into your hands, O merciful Savior, we commend your servant Carolyn. Acknowledge, we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive her into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and to the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. May her souls and the souls of all the departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Thank you.